So we've been thinking. So we've been thinking. The podcast. If you had the opportunity to reimagine what school could be, what kind of school would you create? Today we're joined by Martin Moran, who's facing exactly that challenge. Hi, I'm uh, Martin Moran. I am the uh, lead designer and director of the Bennett Day Upper School, which is a new uh, independent high school opening up in the fall of 2019. Okay, why don't you go ahead and tell them where it is? Uh, in Chicago. So we're in the West Loop of Chicago, which is, uh, for those who are outside the city, just outside the, the main city area. Um, we're about, for those of you who are technologically inclined, we are about a block and a half north of the new Google Midwest headquarters uh, on, uh, on Grand Avenue and Morgan Street uh, in right. Chicago. Yeah. That's actually kind of a nice area. It yeah. started changing really fast, didn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so let's just ask this, Martin, um, what's on your mind related to education? What have you been thinking about? So, okay, so there's a few things right now that, that are on my mind. Well, what isn't on my mind at the moment? We're about a year out of, from building the school, so I'm at right. the point where I'm, uh, I'm kind of thinking about a lot of things. But um, where my, my mind keeps coming back to is, uh, well, actually, let me, let me give it a little preface. So I'm sort of trying to strip away some of the unnecessary plaque that's built up in education and being able to do uh, things that are truly about kids. But at the same time, um, a lot of my job has to be how do we do that while at the same time um, find ways to make sure that our program fits into whatever systems exist outside the building so that we can um, we can address that. So, so what's been on my mind lately is how do we um, create systems in a school so that we make room for real learning to take precedence. And so uh, finding ways to sort of backwards design things like transcripts and records and, and seat time requirements that exist and things like that. How can we find ways to strip them of their, um, of their required status while at the same time not disadvantaging our kids from living in that system is kind of what's been on my mind. So especially around competency-based education, which is where my uh, head has been in the, for the last year or so, is, is um, sort of trying to crack that nut, so to speak, and so that, um, so that we can do what's right for kids and uh, while at the same time not creating a system that disadvantages them in any way. Right. Um, the system. Right. So you're, you're kind of deconstructing the educational process. Very much so, yes. yes. Right. <laughs> in a way that sounds exciting, in a way that sounds kind of frustrating, too. You're, you're, if, you, if you strip it away, you find out what's essential. Yes, yeah, it is. And, and yeah, realistically, I mean, like when you strip that, the, the thing about it is that, is that so, so much of what makes for this, the institution of education is, is not really focused on the kids themselves. I mean, this is this is somewhat cliche these days, but talking about the system that was created 100 years ago and the factory model and all other stuff. But um, I'm thinking, you know, just when you break that stuff down, you start to realize just like how how many layers have built up that really don't have a lot to do with um, what it means to learn. Not just right. today, but ever. You know, it's not it's right. not just a, you know people talk about this as being an innovation problem or as, as something that's been then um, they can't respond to innovation. I don't think it ever responded to much of anything. Um, right. This is more prevalent now because it's, it's easier to sidestep. It's easier than it ever has been to sidestep that system. Yeah. Um, 
first of all, I think about, um, I did a keynote with Beth Holland in San Diego about a year and a half ago. And um, one of the things she discusses, and, and I, you'll have to forgive me, I forgot offhand who came up with this. This is an idea of someone else had created, but the grammar of schools. We have an expectation for the beat and the pace of the day. And yeah. if you want to break down the 50 minute period, if you want to break down the grading system, that's the, that's the grammar of schools, the expectation right. that we have as we walk in. And if you start moving outside of that grammar of schools, um, people start to get a little bit anxious sometimes. So right. you, you really have to communicate those values. So yeah. let, me, let me kind of refocus a little bit back to what you said. If you're stripping down um, so that you have just what's essential, and give me some idea. What are you finding at the core that you don't want to strip down? What is essential that you want to add? Sure. So uh, this is actually what, what we did, what I did sort of when I, when I first started doing this almost a year and a half ago um, is, is what is, is really answering that question. If we strip away all of the different things that are required of school that don't necessarily have the kid in mind, what really is there? And, and so kind of where I, where I started with was thinking about my, um, my students in the last 15 years or so and, and what, um, the ones who I've kept in touch with, the ones who are, um, you know, some of whom are anywhere from, you know, 22 to 35 now, and, and, and what's, what are they talking about? And what, what really matters to them when I talk to them? And, and, and basically what it boiled down to me is that a, a true north of which, in which, that is, um, someone in the building knows me as a student. Um, and that um, really what school is, the real value I see a lot of it as is that, um, is that relationship you have with that adult who knows you, who understands you, who can help, who, who sees you for who you are and can help you to be the person you want to be. And I think, <clears throat> I think what happens is um, when people remember things fondly, whether they remember a um, math class or a history class or this thing or this thing, I think a lot of that is is really built around not just not necessarily even the experience of that you know that great history class or something like that, but instead that person who was doing that and that person who was doing that class, who was running that class, who was creating that experience is someone who I felt knew me. And so, right. so really, when when you when you construct everything about it, kind of what I what I did was say the one the most important thing that exists in a school is the caring adult student relationship in which that mentor helps you figure out better who you are and who you want to be. Right. Um, and that's everything else beyond that becomes a variable for me. So I'm going to guess in, in, in a little bit, I'll ask you again, give you a chance to talk about what processes, what uh, theories you think are going to help to do that. But it sounds to me like you're looking for something much more personalized and a personalized learning experience, clearly. Yes. Yes. And very so much. Yeah. And, and in that kind of, um, I like what, what Will Richardson says when he talks about the difference between personalized and personal. Um, and and um, because, you know, when you say personalized, there's so, there's so many possibilities there. Sometimes personalized just means sitting in front of a laptop that has, that has you know, AI built software. And, and this is really sort of building that personalized side on the personal and, yep. and that connection, that human connection. Because I think um, there's that, you know, there's an old cliche, um, I don't know how old it is, but the idea is that if, a com if you're a teacher and a computer can replace what you do, it probably should. Um, right. and, and that's kind of as I grew up in the tech world, the ed tech world, I kind of saw like, well, that human relationship is the one thing that, that you can't, if you do it well, 
it's the one thing that can't be mimicked. Um, right, and and is you know I don't think we need to press very hard to convince people that social social emotional health mm -hmm. is a big concern in education right now for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is like the safety within schools, but also just right. because it's it's probably the right thing to do, right? And yep. so um, a, a lot of how we're doing that is focused. I think that's that's key to all of the initiatives that we look at: personalized learning, blended learning. There has to be some kind of a a, a social emotional health component to it. Um, I think, you know, I, I just finished reading a book um, again by Seth Godin, and in it, the first chapter just keeps bouncing in my head. It talks about the new world of work, and it talks about the origin of schools and. You talk so much about stripping away old ideas in schools, and they're basically one of the propositions, you know, and I, I've gone back and forth on on this interpretation of it, but um, was that Carnegie wanted schools in order to make obedient workers mm -hmm. even more than he wanted them to be intelligent workers, right? Right, and and there was this obedience and this like um, basically like getting them to be willing to just let other things happen to them. Right. Um, when you were talking, I just thought about this idea. It, it seems a lot more like you're looking for a person who's going to look to a student and bring something out of them rather than to mold them into some preordained idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that, that's really, yeah, that's so much of what this is about because um, like the, I sort of, I always think about this in terms of like in my head, I always see this diagram of, of the school at the center and the kids come to the school, so the arrows all point in from the kids. Right. And in reality, school, it should be opposite, where the, the kid sits in the center, and we as adults and the school and the institutions of the school are coming at the child to a way to, to help them understand, um, to help them better figure all this stuff out. Because right now, there, it's, you know, being successful in school is, is really a lot about how well do I understand the grammar of the school, like you were saying. Right. And it's so fraught with so many problems and, and, and there's so many issues around, around gender and race and things like that that go into that, that, that grammar, how well you know it, right. um, that, that we can't, that school can now finally be a place that actually bends and flexes to the varying needs of a kid, so why shouldn't it be? Right. Bending and flexing to the needs of the varying kid. I like that. And I think that we could make a pretty good argument or write an article that talks about how in the past we made the kid bend to the school. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we weren't necessarily looking to meet them as they are, right? Right. Um, right. So then, I mean, there's a lot of ways I can ask this, but I think, so then tell me either, like, what are the ideas that you think, like, what are some concepts or theories that you think are, you're going to build into this school mm -hmm. to make that happen? Or maybe what is the student experience going to be like? that make it different. I mean, because the school is going to be different or we wouldn't build a new one, correct? Right, exactly, so. yeah, exactly, yeah. I, yeah, so for me, you know, I like to think about this in such a way that, um, so I guess the student, maybe it's easier to go at it from the student experience side. Um, the number one most important fundamental elements, institutional element of the school will be the advisory program. That's going to be something that we will dedicate significant amounts of time to because um, in order for you to take advantage of all the things that you can today, um, if you're going to personal, if you're going to be able to personalize learning, you have to be able to. Nobody can fully personalize learning if you're only relying on the people in the building, right? Because there's there's right. simply there's infinite infinite choices that a kid could make. You can't have infinite people in the building, so you're going to have to utilize outside sources, whether they be physical places that they can go and, and do things, or or virtual ways of doing it. So, um, but the, the way you do that, though, you can't do that 
unless um, you have that mentorship relationship. So the advisory program is designed to help kids not only understand themselves, but also give the adult the opportunity to check in with that kid. Because, you know, realistically, if, if everything, if, you know, we've all had this happen where, like, you know, I go on Netflix and there's 8 million things to watch, but I'm still watching the same show every, you know, every week because it's comfortable. So, um, so you got to have that relationship where the adult can say, hey, I know you, you like this thing, try this, try this thing, or try this, and, and, or maybe give this a shot, or why did you make this choice? And I think that, um, so ultimately, the, the first part of every day, the first part of every student day will be advisory, where they'll come in, and they will, they will have either a person, either their, their advisor will either be working on group, -ish, group stuff around social emotional learning, or individual meetings where they can talk about, here's where I am, here's where I was, here's where I'm going. Okay. And so, so for me, that's, you know, that's number one fundamental piece. Um, and then secondarily, um, we've, we've eliminated things like, um, we've, uh, like typical, typical courses in the sense of like, you have to do, you, every freshman must take this class, this class, you know, your nine periods a day or whatever it is. We're, we're, we're using sort of a high tech high model on, on prop and project based learning, some cross curricular work where they'll be given, um, long-term projects to do uh, that touch on a number of different subjects. Um, I, I built this a little bit from an entrepreneurship class I taught um, a couple years ago where, um, where the, the project itself lasts the entire trimester and at the end you have, to, um, you have to present as your final to a group of people in the field. Um, yeah. And what I'd like to do is, is build every project with that in mind, but, but giving ourselves a little bit more of an extended time period for working you know, two and a half hours a day on this, we can do a lot more iteration in terms of uh, having kids um, basically be able to come in and ask questions. I think this is really where the fundamental difference gets in if you talk about from an adult standpoint of what our school is like, is that um, that teacher who, who could tell you today uh, what they're going to be teaching in December uh, is not going to be all that successful here because um, that's something that um, we're basically building this around a, what we call a question storming day, where the kids will come in, have a, a provocation, will ask every single question they can about their provocation, and only then do we build the, the content for the, for the trimester. So well, you have to be someone who can say, you know, the day before school starts, I have no idea what we're gonna be doing. It's not until those kids ask the questions. Which, from an institutional standpoint, that's, I think, the fundamental difference is that, kind of going back to that, that, um, that, um, analogy or that, that diagram I was talking about before is that everything gets built after we hear what the students are, are, are interested in and only then do we merge what we know they need to understand to be great citizens with their own interests so that it comes together so it's it's really much more of a, a responsive as opposed to a proactive prescribed curriculum so a teacher who is coming in at the start of a school year right is going to um, you're not wanting them to say, oh, like, here's the whole lesson plan. Here's all the work that we're going to be doing for the next nine weeks. Exactly. Right? That's, yeah, you're exactly. you're going to say, I have an idea of the direction we're going, but I can only guess what topics will drive this discussion. Right. I, yeah. And, and I'll come up with a, a concept and a provocation. So, okay. uh, which we take from our, from the Reggio style in, in early childhood, where it's simply, uh, I used to, I taught a class on on Iran, and uh, basically I showed an HBO documentary called Netta, in which a, a young girl was killed, and it was captured on YouTube, and and, right. and I showed it to the kids on the first day without context, and said, "Watch this 
and then write, and then we're going to spend tomorrow writing down every single question you could possibly have about this question, about this this documentary, and that's where I built the the thing. Yeah. The, the the questions the kids asked were things like, "What kind of government could do this to these kids?" Right. And, uh, then you know, a week later, the kids are like, "Hey, I want to do that worksheet on understanding the Iranian governmental system," which I was like, "That's the most boring thing I could think of in the, in the world." But because right. they're trying to figure out who these people are that killed this young girl who was not unlike them. Right. They, they dug into it for an hour, like teasing out little pieces, you know, and I didn't think of it as, as anything particularly innovative in terms of, it's just like a sheet that shows the, the diagram right. of the government. But they chose it, but they, they, but they saw the yeah. need and the value in it. And, exactly. And, and there's a huge difference between receiving that, I, I like to call them organizers because I think documents and, work, and sheets should do something other than just be a worksheet. But right. sometimes if you give them the options and they choose it because they see the need for it, it, it changes everything. Right. Exactly. exactly. You know, it, it's funny. Um, I think that moments like that exist in education. And as a high school teacher, I can think too, there's always one class in a department and uh, it being out of social studies, it was our international relations or current problems class. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't an outline, which was like terrifying, but also exciting. And you would always find yourself in a position where you could just be like, what do you think? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I found myself teaching, my students decided they wanted to learn about the war in Iraq and ISIS. And I said, okay, well, find me something for us to start. We have to begin somewhere. So they picked a video from the PBS website, watched it, and then we just brainstormed all the different topics that we could talk about. And they decided how they would share it. They decided they wanted to create a video. We learned from a video, let's produce our own video. Mm -hmm. And it answers all these associated questions. But like you said, um, the, the problems that I faced were after about a week and a half, I felt like, oh my gosh, I have to test these people. How am I going to test them? Right? And you have to, you have to unwire that, right? And you, then you have to start seeing the value in the work that they're doing and figure out ways to bring it all together because there's individualized products for how that comes together. It was a different set of mental problems for me as a teacher. I wasn't going home and reading things and structuring information. I was going home and looking at the patchwork quilt of learning that was taking place and weaving it into this tapestry that we could lay over the entire class. So because we're talking about in that story, the idea of teacher skills, tell me how is the role of a teacher going to be redefined? And then maybe as a follow-up question, what kind of people are you looking for to be teachers at the school? So, yeah, so I think the, the, the element of the teaching side of this is, is the one that I am, I am, I am per personally excited about. This is sort of like the school that I would want to teach at in some ways, you know, that, um, and realistically it's about that teacher who is, um, I guess the way I would put it is they have to see themselves first and foremost as the advisor of adolescents. So, so um, the person who, feels like, you know what, I, I, I'm a, I was a history teacher, I was a, social, a sociology teacher, I was a poli-sci teacher, but if, if you gave me the opportunity to work with adolescents and needed me to teach something I didn't know anything about, I still would do it because of the opportunity to work with this age group and this group of kids and, and that kind of piece. So, so when we do our job description, um, I know a lot of job descriptions lead off with like, must have a MA or a PhD in your subject. Right. Ours has no, no content requirement whatsoever in our job description. That's done very much on purpose because you know, our number one, number one bullet point on the list is you must see yourself first as an advisor and only after that a content expert. And so um, that's that person who 
understands that role and who, and, and don't get me wrong, like I'm not, that's not to bash people who are like, I really dig math and this is what I do and I love it. And I want to, I want to convey that love to kids. I totally understand that, that, that point of view. Um, it just doesn't work with what we're doing because um, that stuff, that's an important concern, but it's a second concern to, I want this, you were talking about the, the sort of the patchwork quilt. I need to, I need to understand the, the minds of every kid who's in my room and figure out what makes sense for them, not necessarily what I love to talk about. And so, um, so that's number one. And then, um, and then number two is really that ability to, um, to think on the fly, to be able to say, okay, the kids came up with this question today. What are we doing tomorrow? And that's, um, that's, I think for some people, they hear that and they're like, oh, this is, this is me. And other people get hives. Right. right. It's terrifying. You know? Yeah. Um, Imagine, you know, just as a anecdotal part of being a teacher, nothing is more stressful than when you get sick because you have to make the decision about it's more work to stay home. Right. Very often. But imagine trying to plan for an absence when you're still trying to on the fly figure out what is going to happen. So it creates all these other these other things. I think, um, you know, as you were talking, I kept imagining that, yes, we're trying to personalize. Yes, we're trying to adapt to their interests. Yes, we're trying to figure out what's going on. It's a changing landscape constantly. Mm -hmm. I I imagine that um, it's going to be interesting to try to create communication between all of these teachers, between levels of teachers to make sure that their skills are in place, that they're moving forward in a, in a, I mean, you're personalizing, but we, we also want to organize that learning to, to assure yeah. that when they're done, they have certain skills. Right. And that's, yeah, this is where the, the competency side of things comes in, where we, you know, we, we're in the process of building a, a pretty extensive competency map that, uh, and this is kind of, you know, when you go back to the, the question you asked me at the beginning, part of when I was stripping things away, I, I kind of, I, I got to the point where I was like, you know, we, 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 we quantify graduation based on credits and, and units or whatever you want to call it, you know, credit hours, whatever. Um, yet nobody has any idea what a kid knows when they walk out, walk out of the building um, because they took the algebra geometry trig right. sequence, right? They, they just know that they, they took those classes. And so um, when I started with competency-based education or, or, or proficiency-based, whatever you want to call it, um, I know some people distinguish between those two things, but right. um, but the the idea is like it, it should be like I sh- as a kid I should know what I can do and be able to prove it when I leave. So so for me that was another one of those moments where it's like well why don't we just come up with a system by which they just have essentially a a um, chart of things that they need to be able to demonstrate by the time they walk out. And that's what we've been doing for the last year is building that that so that um, so that no matter where a kid is in their um, in their uh, process that everybody in the building can see their, where they are, they're at on the map and uh, their own map and get a sense of, okay, this is what would challenge this kid right now. So, right. so part of it is a software question and, and building us, we, you know, sort of partnered with some folks to do some software so that, that we can keep the, tr- keep good track of that stuff. And then, um, and then um, this is where I was talking about earlier. The challenge of this is like making sure that I can now, backwards design those things to match typical courses. Sure. But I think in what you're doing, like you talked, we talked about the grammar of schools, like most online portals, most LMS systems, they operate within the traditional grammar of schools. So I think that what you're saying 
is like here we, we need this technological tool that's going to support this competency map that's going to allow for personal personalization the reason it doesn't just happen is because the infrastructure has to be in place to do that you know right. yeah, um, yeah i've been reaching out I actually just sent a, uh, an invitation not to tease another episode with <laughs> uh, one particular group that's trying to create a product that's going to focus on student learning um, and I, I hope to get them on because what they're saying is one of the biggest barriers to moving forward with the school of the future is the technology of yesterday. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I'm sure that that is something that you have to spend a lot of time on. And towards that, I mean, that's one obstacle that maybe this is a good time to transition then into the idea of what are the other obstacles? So you imagine this better world. You, you imagine this idea of a student and these skills for a teacher what are the barriers? What are you bouncing your head into as you go along with this? I think from a from a logistics standpoint, like just from a straight logistics standpoint, the the biggest barrier is that is that technology side of, or not necessarily technology side that 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 backwards design piece where um, I can take what we have and fit it into the to the system that exists. And I, I think I've gotten to, gotten to a point where uh, I'm I'm pretty comfortable with what we're building and its relationship to. Uh, to the current system, it, part of it was really more of a how much am I willing to give, um, you know, because I, I, I didn't want to compromise too much on any of this because it just so easily can fall down the rabbit hole of, well, it just ends up looking the same. You've compromised so many times. So I've right. got no point where I'm pretty happy with with what we've done and how we've built what we've built. And I think we'll be, we'll be in a pretty good spot about, around that. My biggest sort of, um, I wouldn't call it the, this isn't a logistics barrier, but it's really the, I think for me, um, the biggest challenge to this is explaining it to people who aren't in education and or um, aren't don't understand what's possible, what could be possible. Um, and this is one of those things where everybody went to school, therefore they know what school is. And and um, it's that kind of that question of okay, that's great, but where are they going to get their math class from? Where are they going to get their language class from? And, and um, and it's one of those, it's a harder concept to explain because it, it's something that does take a little bit of time to explain. And um, it's so, I mean, if I could just come up with a silly acronym that people loved, um, that would probably be the easier thing because you, know, you, know, you could throw around words like AP or IB and it just sort of shorthand for people who don't necessarily have a big background in education to mean right. the rigorous thing. Whereas I think, um, I think what I'm trying to, what we're trying to do is um, really be rigorous in a way that is right for that kid, but that a lot of people are like, I don't, I went to school and this doesn't sound anything like that. I, right. And they aren't totally comfortable with that, even though they'll say, I didn't like my school, my school experience, but that's what my experience was. So how can I change my mind? So it's, it's, it's really kind of a training, a slow sort of training element of just getting people to understand what we're doing. Yeah. You know, there's so many places I can think of where like, the people's inability to grasp what a new model might look like really mm -hmm. prevents them from diving in. I mean, you could go back to videotapes, to DVDs, to Netflix, mailing you discs, to yeah. streaming, um, to now I don't have cable. I switched over to a service that's a downloadable app yeah. and I still get everything, but it's a completely different process by which there's no wires, there's no nothing. Right. And I, I remember trying to explain to my father how <laughs> I was getting the same channels, but I was paying $150 a month less. Mm -hmm. Right. And just finally, I had to explain to him, I'm like, you download apps. This is an app. And if I could put it mm -hmm. into simplistic terms. So really, yeah. it sounds to me like a big issue that you're dealing with is messaging. 
You know, like yeah. what is a message or a model? As soon as you said to me, we're following a bit along the lines of high tech high. Well, I've read a considerable amount about that. Right. But when you have parents who are looking and they've all gone through a similar situation and they are used to like the beat and the pace of a day, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that you're right. You, you've got to be able to convince them. So maybe then a good place for us to, to step next is then how are you reaching out to parents to explain what this is going to be when you're building a model that they can't really know until they've experienced it? Yeah, this is, that's one of the big challenges is, um, is as we were, um, you know, we, I, I just, we just hired some of our, our early staff and I've just started working with them about two weeks ago. And a lot of that question was about like, how do we, and this is, you know, how do you understand the mind of a parent? Um, and there's so many different archetypes of parent, right? There's, there's the parent who, um, who, for whom when they hear personalized, learning would be like, yes, I want my kid to have that. That's, that's great. Um, and then you've got other parents who might be, you know, wait, you know, whatever, whatever it takes to get them into Harvard school with me. Um, and there's, there's probably a span well in between the middle of all that stuff. And so the, the, the way I'm trying to frame this in, in a lot of ways is to, um, really explain to people that what you're getting in school right now is not enough for your child that that not because the school is is bad but because they can't take advantage of all the things that have happened in the last 10 years even and and so so the the idea that that school can be more is something that is kind of at the beginning of our messaging is that is that we're really explaining that like this is not this isn't you're not giving up anything to take a more progressive or more innovative approach you're getting more opportunities to do other things. So, I mean, even when it comes down to breaking down, you know, like, okay, well, here's what you'd get in a traditional school. You get this many class periods, you get this many semesters, you get this many, and then if you did it our way, here's what you'd be able to do. And this is, you know, so it's almost like even breaking it down for them to see, you know, the, the quantitative value of what we're doing. But at the same time, like that doesn't work for every parent. So then it's, I have to sort of assess which parent I'm talking to because um, that part about advisory is really important to me. And I think it's, it's something that I would like to hear. I'd like to really explain it to a lot of parents, but if they don't understand how it all fits together, they might just think, oh, this is just happy, fun time. You're just doing your own. Right. Well, school. As you were talking earlier about um, reacting to the students and ad- adapting to what the students needs are. The first thing that I thought was that's something that's going to change regularly. Mm-hmm. And the, a school that can master, if you can truly master this, Martin, then you're going to be able to move your school and the skills that you teach along at a pace of change that is faster than what a typical institution can do, right? right? And, and, and I really think that that's something we have to acknowledge, this, the pace of change. Okay, so I, I, I'm writing an article, and the basic premise of that article is that the students that are going to be graduating from high school this year really began their formal schooling in 2006, which just so happens to be when the iPhone came out. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, so in their lifetimes, they've gone from a world where like phones were buttons to it's a portal for information to right. information isn't knowledge. Right? right. Like just giving it to them isn't going to do it. They have to at some point process that and make it internalized. Mm-hmm. Um, but like they've gone through the initial one to one programs. They've transformed education, moved from paper textbooks into something more digital. And that pace of change, many schools are struggling with with how to keep that pace of change. If you think yeah. about the dramatic shift that happened in schools as they came and became, went to one-to-one, now imagine that that kind of a dramatic shift should probably be happening, and I'm just 
like snowballing here. Every three to four years okay. at every institution across the country, mm -hmm. that, that, that's a lot. So I, I'm really fascinated. I, I'm, I'm, I hope I get a chance to come and see your school once you're up and running so I can see all of this in place and, and see what's new and what other challenges are, are facing you, right? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're excited to do it. I think to, to speak to that pace of change piece, I used to do a talk where I'd say that, is that like when, when I think this was like three or four years ago, that I said when the current seniors started school, you didn't, you know, think about what didn't exist. Facebook didn't exist. And Google was a fledgling company, Amazon yeah. bookstore, all these things that, that guide our life today. Um, you know, but the, the real question, I think, to, to address the pace of change question is, how do, they, how do they understand that pace of change and can contextualize themselves within it? Because right. I think it's one thing to keep up with the tech. It's another thing to understand the role of tech and how to compartmentalize it in your life. Uh, I, right. used to, I used to teach, it's called uh, modern media sociology, where you know, it was, I, I would always explain it as teaching fish about water. Uh, it was like, this thing is around you all the time. How do you understand it? And I think as a school, it's half the job is, is keeping up, but the other half is, is understanding its role within, uh, within your life and how to, you know, we've seen in the last two years how much, you know, the, the impact of, of media, whether it be social or digital or, you know, whatever you want to call it, social media, internet, digital technology, software, whatever you want to talk about is, is it, it, it's, influence on us is bigger than we understand and i think that's partially because as educators for the last 15 years we haven't understood it really well so we can't teach right. kids about what it's like to be someone who lives in this world where things are changing so quickly and how can i how can i pace myself and not just get washed over by the tsunami of the of the right. digital world it's a good way to explain it because the world is like a, a very a fast moving tsunami of change now mm -hmm. and adapting to that pace and making yourself a, a flexible fungible person who can transform into what's needed is is really challenging thanks for I, I i'm really interested in your school and that that focus on the needs of kids you know there's a lot of other questions i want to ask i want one more question i want to ask you and then i'll hit you up with some uh follow-up questions just generally about you so that you can kind of share to the listening audience sure. um how, what do you think the the um how is this going to affect kids going to school that's the biggest pushback you get when you're in schools asking for changes like but, but the colleges but the colleges mm -hmm. you know like is this going to be something you're going to have to explain to universities is this something that the universities are looking forward to are they resisting it are they embracing it i'm sure that it's going to vary but what's your take on that issue uh, yeah I've, 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 this has been something i've thought i've been studying a lot in the last two years to sort of consider okay what's the viability of this model within that system and how can i how might we have to shift it in order to make sure and What's nice is that universities are moving faster than I thought they would have um, between things like, um, you know, the, the coalition, uh, the, the, the coalition based at the University of Chicago that started there, they're doing portfolio work. Um, some of the, the universities on the north, in the northeast, uh, the hundred or so that signed off on the proficiency based transcripts, uh, basically saying proficiency based transcripts are no different to, to them than um, grade based transcripts. Um, the, the work of, of the Mastery Transcripts Consortium is, is helping move the ball forward a little bit to help um, almost create almost a union of independent schools that are starting to say, this is what we're going to do. So I think, um, and, then, and then the fact that universities are starting to use um, competency-based programs themselves helps too, um, because they're, they're seeing it and they're able to understand it. So I think, um, I think, the, I think 
what we're seeing in university, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about what I see in, in universities, understanding that they're all Leviathans in and of themselves. Um, but I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that they, they realize what's happening. And I think, frankly, they're, their business models need, you know, they're, they're going to need to be responsive. We already know that their costs are soaring and, and some of them are, are struggling financially. Um, I think, um, you know, it may, maybe it won't be our little school that changes them completely, but, but the fact that they need to think about new and innovative ways to exist might help shift right. too. I mean, cause it's, they're, they're facing a, I think they're facing a pretty difficult road ahead. If you're not, if you're not a, Harvard or Yale or Stanford type place or a major state school, you're, you're going to have to think about how to approach this in a different way. Absolutely. Well, the change is coming to them just as much as everyone else. And I think everyone's kind of like figuring out where they are. It's interesting because I think you can sit around and you can wait until a model emerges or you can try to build those models. Right. And what's exciting right now is that if you look enough, if you dig enough, there are many places that are looking to build all those models and, and turn into something cool. So I think it's really awesome that you've decided, like your school, your organization is set out to kind of make this a reality and, and really give it a go and think about it, you know? Um, it's, it's really the, the, the founder, Cameron and, and Kate, the other, the, the other founder, they, when I signed on to them, they, they, you know, something Cameron said in the first interview I ever read that he gave was school can't be all things to all people. So you have to, you have to take a stand and this is who we are. And I felt like that was, that's, I, that's exactly how I believe is that, is that you have to have a point of view. A school has to have a point of view. You have to have values. You have to know what you're driving for because otherwise you're doing things and you're stepping on those. And that's, I mean, that creates dissonance for everybody. Yeah, exactly. So towards that, I got a couple of quick questions for you. Like yeah. um, just general light, you don't have to be anything too deep or anything, but um, so tell me something you, if you could make everyone read something right now, one thing, what would you make everyone read? Professionally or personally? Um, That's totally up to you. That's, okay. It's your question. It's your answer. Okay. I would say um, there is a book written in the, okay, it's a, it's a graphic, not a graphic novel, but it's a, um, it's a, I don't know what I'd even call it. The book is called The Medium is the Massage by Marshall McLuhan. Yeah. Uh, with a graphic designer. So it's not really, it's not a typical book. It has a lot of different uh, pictures and photos and video, or not videos, pictures and photos and things like that. Um, I think it is the most important, the concepts in that book are more important than anything that anybody is talking about now. It was written in the, uh, it was written in the 50s and 60s. Uh, yep. And for those who don't know McLuhan, he's the preeminent um, media sociologist, media studies, God uh, and and everything he talks about in terms of how um, the impact of, of media on us it's weirdly prescient it's almost creepy to how much he gets what's happening now he's been dead for twenty years it's so, like he had a crystal ball and yeah. you can't you know I, I love it that you said that I think if um, you know my co-host of this podcast is Greg Kulwick and he I think if he heard you say that he'd be really happy because <laughs> an idea that the medium is the message yeah. is really important one of the things that led us to do a podcast is this is like this is a, a, a way that people are consuming information now yeah. in a way that's different we have the the technology has conformed to our lifestyle we're in the car with Bluetooth technology and it's a, yeah. a way to get your message out and we talk about the idea of literacy that in, in terms of communication like beyond just the ability to write, are we building students who can communicate in multiple platforms in multiple right. ways and adapt themselves and their message to the medium as it presents itself? Exactly. And I think that that's an idea that Marshall McLuhan has like, 
if you have if you're in education you haven't read that book that would be a place to go they would get so much from that source yeah yeah i've got like yeah my, my bookshelf was like john dewey and marshall McLuhan, and like that's like if you would describe me that's like that's that's who i if, if i could ever be described that way that would right. be like pinnacle of my life see if you threw papert onto that then you've yeah. got something a little bit more for me and i have to say that this um this Seth Godin book, uh, Lynchpin, is another one that just, it, it wraps itself into my thinking all throughout the day. So, mm-hmm. excellent. Um, next one. So, tell us about an experience that changed you and your perspective of the world. Um, in terms of, let's see, I would say in terms of, um, I'll just keep it in education because I think it was pretty significant to me. So, when I, the first year I went to South by Southwest um, back in 2011-ish, somewhere in there. Yeah. I went to a workshop that was run by the Third Teacher Plus, who's I don't know if they exist anymore, um, but they were a, they were an architecture firm who did you know who did uh, education sides of things. And I did a workshop on it was a very early on design thinking workshop, and um, and the way they described how you could approach teaching the way they sort of brought this architect's point of view to it and the, the elements of design thinking, which, which I had not known of before 2010 or so. um, I heard it and I was like, Oh, well this is, this sounds, this is progressive education. This isn't really like, we call it anything you want, but this is basically progressive education. And and it was that moment where I was like, Oh, like we can put these things together. Like, like, and, and, and being there and seeing all the kind of this, this is where, you know, I just sort of came to the conclusion that none of the, none of nothing that's called innovative in education really is different than what Dewey was talking about a hundred years ago or, um, or any of any of the people that we just mentioned we're talking about. It's just that what can we do now? And it was that kind of like aha moment where, yeah. where, where it was just like, Holy cow, we can do so much more than I thought we could. Yeah. I don't want and that was, yeah. it was, the, it was that kind of like, like I don't want to ever put it on design thinking as a concept because I, I can take or leave the concept. I really like it. I use it, but um, but it was just sort of that opening up of like, oh well, this process sounds an awful lot like learning in this other way. So why aren't we, you know, like like when did we go wrong and how can we just fix this? This seems crazy. You know, like that we don't we aren't doing it this way. You know, there's a synergy that happens when you're exposed to a bunch of new ideas and all of a sudden the ends of the a few ends of like loose ends in your thinking join together to form a coherent thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and that part of what you're saying kind of resonates. I'm always loving when I can make anything that they've learned connect with something else that they've learned that were completely unrelated. And yet there is this, this combination of thinking, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, and, and creating an environment for that is really kind of important. It sounds to me like this school is uh, going to be that environment. So really quickly before we go, let me ask you, why don't you go ahead and for everyone who's been listening, Tell them um, your the name of your school again, if they um, or maybe if you want to share your uh, Twitter account, if people want to reach out to you and ask some questions, that might be good. Sure. Okay. So the school is Bennett Day School. It's uh, it's in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, it's opening in the fall of nineteen. Uh, we're actually currently hiring our first teachers. So if people are listening to this and have and are geeked by some of this stuff, let me know. Um, and then if yeah, for me, I'm at Martin Moran twenty one. Uh, at uh, on Twitter, uh, M A R T I N M O R I N twenty one, um, and uh, I typically that's that's where I typically anything that's coming up, whether it's school related or um, or other moments, I'll pop into a Twitter chat every now and then. Not as much as I'd like, but um, 
pop it into those and just sort of generally uh, go off on any number of education related stuff there. Typically. All right. Well, thank you very much, Martin, for coming in and sharing for, with the So We've Been Thinking podcast. And uh, I look really for, look forward to kind of checking in with you and seeing how it's going and hearing more about the process. Great. Thank you for having me.